Welcome to Make Things That Matter, the podcast where we explore impactful products and the cultures that create them. I'm your host, Andrew Scottsko, and if I'm doing my job well, each episode of this show will help you to do meaningful work, make things that make things better, and have a great experience doing it. After experiencing the life-changing power of his own sabbatical, DJ Didana founded the Sabbatical Project to normalize the practice of sabbaticals outside of academia. The end of the year is a reflective time when we tend to think about the trajectory of things, our lives, our careers. So maybe you're thinking about making a big change or taking some real time off in the next year or two. If you or someone around you is considering that, then this conversation will help you think about it. I've spent most of this year on sabbatical, and I can tell you firsthand that DJ's research was very useful in making sense of what is a very ambiguous process. So I'm grateful for the chance to introduce him to you now, and I hope this supports your process as you close out the year. If there is one thing I have really grokked this year, it's that your identity can evolve along with your career, but does not need to be bound by your career. So with all that, please enjoy DJ Didana. DJ, officially, my friend, welcome to the show. It's so great to be with you today. How are you? Good. Yeah, we finally made it. And we know that we're crossing paths, flying across the country to and from Delaware. So got that in common. Exactly, exactly. If we'd only realized that sooner, we could have done this one in person. But you know, say la vie. Well, I'm so glad to finally get to get you on the podcast and, and talk about this super important topic with sabbaticals. I know we're going to spend a lot of time in this conversation discussing that considering I think it's especially timely given this time of year. You know, it's a time of year where everyone's getting reflective, they're thinking about their life and how it's going and what's working and not and how do they want to change things. So I'm really excited to get this one out over the holidays to support people in that time. Yeah. Speaking of the end of your reflection, I actually hadn't thought about it until you said that, but I think the end of year pause that we we, we take, and I, it feels like the Christmas to New Year's is becoming kind of an official holiday mm-hmm. in across the States, especially in, I guess, tech companies. But the fact that we stop and take that pause to think about the future and reflect on the past is kind of akin to a sabbatical over the course of 10 years, right? You might work seven to 10 years and never really think about where you're going from a a macro perspective until you you take that step back. And so on the Mm -hmm. scale of 52 weeks, if you're taking, you know, one week at least to say like, okay, what have I done? What am I doing? How is that consistent to who I am and what I want to do? And and how would I like that to change? So I like that, that framing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I I appreciate that. And it's, it's something I didn't really realize because, you know, as some of the listeners know, I'm, I'm kind of coming off a sabbatical myself or in the, the tail end of one. And we'll talk all about that as we go. But it just occurred to me coming into this time of year. I'm like, Oh, wow. Suddenly everyone else is having a lot of the conversations that I've been having all year. How interesting. <laughs> so I thought it'd be great for the listener to get to know you a little bit better. So tell us a little bit more about your backstory. Cause I know you had a social finance company helping people get, you know, kind of increase the equitable access to finance. And then you had your own mm-hmm. sabbatical. So just kind of. Tell us about that story. Like, what brought you to this? Yeah. And like most stories, they make sense looking back. But, you know, going forward, especially in your position right now, coming back on sabbatical, which I want to get into, like the maybe uncertainty or like the the possibilities. Yeah. So I, you know, I went to business school wanting to do something that made a positive difference in the world. And I found these professors who had created this technology to understand credit risk without kind of credit bureaus and financial statements and things that that don't really exist and the infrastructure isn't there in emerging markets. So they're basically saying, how can we figure out the creditworthiness or the potential of an individual without all of those infrastructure things in play? Mm. Mm. So I spent seven years growing that business, which was essentially going to innovative banks in emerging markets and saying, we want to help you lend to entrepreneurs that you can't currently lend to. It was total dream job, exactly what I had kind of written about in my, in my admissions essay, probably. And, you know, we had an amazing company culture, working with friends, doing good in the world. And I just found myself not as excited about it over time and kind of slipping into honestly kind of like a funk and a depression. Hmm. And that's, that was very disorienting for me because I had equated burnout with doing a job that you didn't like, you know, like you burn out from banking, you don't burn out from your dream job. And so that, that kind of threw me for a loop. Just what do you do if the thing that you thought would always, you know, please you and satisfy you doesn't work anymore? Hmm. And so wow. 
I, I kind of chalked it up to like, I don't know. And also I can't continue working like this because I'm just not, not the best coworker and colleague. So yeah. I'll just take a break. And I went to the buckets of, you know, going out into nature and doing some kind of spiritual exploration as like, okay, those are important things to me that are rarely urgent that I'd like to dedicate some, some time towards. So hmm. took the sabbatical, came back, felt like it really reoriented my perspective on work and life and set out to create research and evidence and run experiments on what role this should play in a, in the broader culture. Like, was this just a one-off experience that I had, or is this something that is actually like a hidden recipe that folks really don't, don't know about? Yeah. Okay. Wow. So we're going to get into all that, but really quick, I'm so curious. You had this amazing, you know, company experience, but where did that drive come from for you? Well, part of it is, I think, I mean, most of it is luck, right? It's, it's like luck and being in the right place at the right time. We happened to be starting a company that cared about small to medium enterprise finance in a year where the G20 had like small to medium size enterprise funding <laughs> out there, right? So a lot of you're on the wave at the right time. But I think, and, and this relates to the name of the podcast, and I'd love to learn even more about like why you made this, which is if you care about something, you have to say no to a lot of other things. Mm. So here I was at business school having made, you know, I was, I was in like a, a fellowship in the state of Indiana that, that fights brain drain and keeps people in the state, went to college okay. in the state. And I was making 32.5 before, before business school, which is not what my classmates were making. <laughs> And then you can come out of there and make like literally a half million dollars a year working in private equity. And wow. so I was just like, I am not going to apply to any jobs. I'm not going to tempt myself with this paycheck that's just more than I can imagine making. And I'm just going to focus on what, what I want to do. And so said no to a lot of things, told, you know, told people what I wanted to do, did internships, like unpaid internship, you know, working in Kenya for a microfinance bank. I just kind of had tunnel vision. So mm -hmm. I could have very easily had tunnel vision and not found that thing. <laughs> but but I happened to do so. I think a lot of reason is because I told a lot of folks that that's what I wanted to do. And so a friend of mine, a classmate, Lewis, actually was the one who surfaced this research project and brought it to my attention. Hmm. But where did that, I, I love that, but where did, do you think that drive to, to be of service, like where did that come from for you? Is that something you do you, when you reflect on your own was that something from your parents, or your upbringing, or just sort of spontaneously showed up in you? I'm always curious yeah, about like where yeah. those motivations come from for people. I think about that a lot. I mean, I think that my desire to serve others came from, I went to a Jesuit high school, so they're very focused on service to others, education, and it kind of instilled that in me. We had We would have like a month per year where we would do service projects. And so instead of going to school, you'd go to like a job, you know, eight to five volunteering. And I think the hustle probably came from, you know, my dad was a pilot and then every airline he worked for basically went bankrupt. And so you're like hustling, scrapping, you know, in a financially precarious position. And so you, you have a little bit of that, like financial insecurity. And I think the interest in access to finance, when I look back was like, oh, even though, you know, my dad would get furloughed, he would like take his experience as an airline pilot and go to the bank and say, I want to start an Italian restaurant. And they would mm. give him money to do that, which is kind of insane, right? And so in a place like America, you like your worth as a human and your value, there's more ways for for financial institutions to to value that. So they say, you've got an Italian last name, so maybe you'll be good at that. But also, <laughs> we know that you've made this amount of money in the past and your credit score is good. So we'll, we'll kind of equate that to your you know, ability to start and run a business. And so that you can kind of seamlessly move in between worlds and start things up and in a way that's really not possible in most of the world. And I think I was able to take that for granted. And when you go to a place like Kenya and you see folks that, you know, can't buy the property they've been leasing for, for 20 years because there's mm -hmm. no deeds and they don't have a credit score, you're like, oh man, this, this is a structural mm -hmm. problem that, that is a big deal. So I guess I, I combine wow. that, that like desire to do good in the world with like a bit of a hustle that's ingrained in me around, I don't know, financial insecurity. And you, you put that in a stew and you're like, wow, I found this thing that can help many other people. And, and it's related to something that I'm really, I'm really passionate about. So hmm. then you become a person that lives out of a suitcase for seven years. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, no, I really appreciate you sharing that story. It's always, I love to hear people's or the origin stories of projects they work on. And, you know, as you were kind of hinting to or hinting at, I feel like there's usually some through line where you mm. encounter something in the world that you're like, oh, wow, this is this thing that actually makes a difference out in the world. And yet it also has in some weird way, kind of a deep connection into my own story or roots. And so I actually yeah. care about it too, because, you know, there's more problems than any of us can ever solve. So I find the problem selection process also very interesting in that way. I think on the on the sabbatical topic, I viewed my sabbatical as kind of a bit mourning the the interest, the waning interest that I had in that, like financial inclusion and banking mm -hmm. and and being like, oh, maybe it's okay that your interests change over time. And just because you were super passionate about this thing and you've got a bunch of your like your time and your life and your your sweat equity in it, it's okay to want to explore multiple things. And so the sabbatical gave me a chance to step back and say, what can I imagine a life without doing this thing that doesn't seem mm. to be like a sustainable life for me? So if you want to make things that matter, like having that time and perspective to step back and also making that a regular practice so that you do it on the regular. So you're kind of recommitting to a thing as opposed to having this like inertia that you can't shake. Yeah, like the inertia and sunk costs that just carry us forward through so many decisions. I I've seen that so much, not just with myself, but I think it's a very common thing with all of us. But, you know, I just realized I want to actually take a second and, and sort of set a context here because you and I are, are deep in the world of sabbaticals, but everyone listening to this may not be. When people hear the term sabbatical, they may not be exactly clear what that means. So really quick, could you just, for the listener, what is a sabbatical and how is that different than a vacation or a change of career or whatever other common misconceptions people have? Yeah. So first of all, there's no real definition of it, which is why I thought it was important to come into the space and, and wrap something around it. Like it's like mm. the term sabbatical has the root of Sabbath and rest and, you know, letting a field life fallow every seven years in the Old Testament. The term sabbatical was kind of originally used for academics started by Harvard in the late 19th century around like taking leave from your your routine job to go to Europe to exchange information with other folks in, in the academy. And then, you know, the first corporate sabbatical was McDonald's in 1977, as far as I can find, hmm. which they still have. And it's just kind of a term now that some folks use, a lot of folks don't use, but it's it's kind of this air of prestige borrowed from academia and concept of rest that is, it sounds better than saying like, I have no idea what I'm doing with my life right now. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pulling the chute and everything's on fire. And so it's kind of like a, like a term that people love to use, like a fellow, like when you get a fellowship, how many fellowships mm. are really, you know, prestigious versus just saying the name. And, but our definition is uh, extended leave intentionally spent on something other than your routine job. Mm. So extended, how long does that mean? I don't know. Folks say that, you know, you need at least six to eight weeks to really detox from your, your old work life and your old work identity. I'm curious to hear how long that took you. Intentionality, like meaning that, you know, your routine job is your job. And then when you lose that job or leave that job, your job in our society now becomes finding another job, right? Mm -hmm. So if you make space for not going on that next step, then you're kind of in this liminal space between two things. And you can, the reason we say routine job, a lot of folks will do stuff like write a book, start a podcast to, to be things that they're working on, but they have to be very different from what you were doing or else it just kind of feels like a, a continuation, right? Like doing consulting to kind of float the float your finances but it, it pulls you out of that space you know for two days a week it's not as likely to be successful totally totally no i really appreciate you setting that context the the i i think speaking to my story a little bit of this year just for anyone who doesn't know i, I took a sabbatical starting the spring i'm now in the sort of the tail end of it it's it's not exactly defined timing wise but i can sort of feel that i'm in the final I don't know, let's call it third. So how does this usually go for people? I imagine that people have sabbaticals of all different lengths, right? Some people have a month, some people have three, some have two years. One of the most interesting things from our findings, and just to tell you a little bit about how we got there was, as I said, I had this incredible experience that helped me kind of to tear away my personal identity from my work identity. 
And I was curious as to whether folks had the same experience. So we did, you know, 50 qualitative interviews, you know, partnering with, with academics and found this pattern that, you know, it's basically three building blocks that, that you mentioned. People can go about it in very different ways, but, you know, obviously mm-hmm. the super majority of people that get to the point of wanting a sabbatical or taking a sabbatical are, are burnt out to some extent. So they're going to like go straight into recovery mode. For some people, that's doing a yoga retreat in Bali. For some people, it's like, you know, going on a long hike. For some people, it's seeing their family and kind of going back into that kind of cocoon. And and then you have this part where people are are experimenting and exploring. So I like to think of it as mm-hmm. archaeology. Like a lot of people are digging back into like, oh, I used to be really excited about painting. Am I still excited about that? Or I used to, you know, really love rock climbing. So I'm going to go do a, a trip or a ski trip or something. And I think that that third phase then like, oh, okay, like I want to try on this identity for size for a little bit mm-hmm. and see how that mm-hmm. feels. You know, it's like an internship, right? Where it's one thing to say, I want to retire and, and own an eco lodge. It's another thing to say, I'm going to go work in the kitchen of an eco lodge to see like how the place works. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we just, we kind of saw that pattern. I think some people don't get to the part of practicing. Some people forget to like recover and they have to do it at the end. You know, <laughs> some people get, don't set great boundaries. And so they're, they're getting like, you know, job, there's in job hiring processes and they're getting kind of pulled out and then jumping back in. But mm. it, it was kind of interesting to see this instinctual pattern that people play out. That's fascinating. I'll share a bit about my, my own journey as well. Without realizing it, I very much went on that pattern where for the first yeah, it's like two months, really. I was just, two, yeah, about two months. I was decompressing. I was relaxing. I was yeah. letting my mind rest and, and open up to new things. And then I went on about, it, it was about, turned out to be about a six month journey of uh, going deep into a few areas that I, I really had always been curious about and want to go deeper on. For me, in this case, it was really investing deeply in the exploration around spirituality and meditation on the one hand. That was probably the mm-hmm. primary. And then on the other hand, I've always been fascinated by the mind and by the brain. And, and so I started doing graduate work in neuroscience to really explore into that. And so I did a whole bunch of graduate work, which awesome. was actually really was not restful. It was actually rather, really hard, but yeah. it was, but it was, you know, took me in a totally new direction. It was fascinating. But I, well, I did want to clarify one thing really quick about the the stages or the phases you were talking about there. And then we'll see where, we, see where we go here. But is, is the reintegration, is that like this idea of, okay, I'm done and now I'm kind of plugging back into society or is that a misunderstanding of kind of what that phase is? I think that the third phase and the phase you're in now can take a lot of different manifestations and Hmm. there's reintegrating by pulling together your learnings on your time off and, you know, trying to figure out what that means. And there's reintegrating where you're, you know, just trying to figure out like, what do I apply for? Should I stay? Should I go? So, I think this is kind of the messiest, least consistent stage. And this is where, like, I really, you know, recommend folks using a coach to really help, like, you get all the stuff out that you, you experience and, and try to figure out what it means. Like, I think the, the most common experience is that people are getting more and more stressed the longer they're off. And they're especially getting stressed if they feel like they're taking, they've taken so much time off, but they don't have the answer. And so I think a coach can also help to be like, Hey, listen, like you, you did, you did the work. You made, you took a few steps, but you might not nail it in this next thing. You might just need to get a job. <laughs> no, you might need to <laughs> like try something else that you don't know whether it's going to be good or bad, but, but hopefully you've gotten like the courage and the energy and the perspective to, to do that. Right. Mm. So I think it's really the, refreshing because what it sounds like you're saying there is that it's okay if you don't, if you haven't solved everything in your one sabbatical, like it's, it's okay if you don't have all the answers. I think it'd be weird. I think it's kind of weird if you do, like, it's almost like if you do, this is going to be a bad metaphor. If you do, it's almost like you're dating someone else before you broke up with your, your partner, right? Like you hadn't (laughs) given yourself, you hadn't given yourself a chance to truly like not be that, that person and, and have that kind of job and those experiences before choosing the next thing. Maybe the better answer is like, going to the grocery store hungry or something. I need to work on that analogy, but yeah, we'll leave it for now. I get it. <laughs> the, one of the things I wanted to touch on with what you said, first of all, obviously very excited to dive into this meditation common space that we have because I spent like two months 
you know, on a Buddhist pilgrimage. But the other thing awesome. you talked about break and whether or not you were like burnt out. One of the contributions that our, our research has made to what folks know about breaks is that most of the research around breaks and recovery is like pretty standard. You know, you, you're burnt out and you need to regain your energy. And so you do something that's very like low energy and recuperative and, you know, spas and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What we found is that high effort work activities can also be a, a great break and encourage recovery. So this thing about like you studying neuroscience, and I remember someone from our interviews, like they went totally off the deep end. They're just reading all these books and would go on like two week deep dives on like octopuses and stuff. Um, <laughs> those are kind of like refreshing because you're saying like, oh, I'm in charge of what I want to learn. I, I'm setting an attention. And that process of like exploring and learning on your own terms can be very rejuvenating. Whereas normally you're kind of guided by like, I have to learn this thing because it's for my job or I have to learn this thing because I'm doing this for my family or something like that. So that's like the example, I think of a high effort work activity where if you had started that right away, right when you stopped your job, as opposed to giving yourself that two month space, I think that would have been a bad idea. Because you'd have been like, all right, I'm swapping out this thing that's that's high effort and very taxing for this other thing. And sure, I'm choosing it, but like you wouldn't have given yourself time to really, I think, get back to to zero, right? Yeah, I, I, I in retrospect, I don't think I did it quite as well as you're you're portraying it. I think I did, in fact, yeah. swap it a little too much and yeah. didn't give myself at least at first that that true downtime. But I think it's also in that, and this is why one of the reasons I'm hoping that this our conversation today is helpful to people because. I started this really having no idea what I was doing and having, yeah. I didn't even know what a sabbatical was. It wasn't until like two months in that I'm talking to my best friend on the phone who, you know, has a PhD, has worked in academia. He's like, dude, you're on a sabbatical. And I was like, <laughs> what? Like it just, it, I hadn't even like thought about it. I had just gone into it. Like I have to take a break. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what it looks like. Yeah, so I totally, think, I think the putting some, some, you know, put painting the picture for people a little bit. I think I, I hope anyways, will be really helpful to have more of that downtime. So given that, that you didn't, you didn't feel like you were like escaping from a toxic work environment and you didn't have the language around sabbaticals, how did you describe to folks at work and peers and colleagues what you were doing? Yeah, honestly, it was a little awkward because I didn't have great language for it. We mutually knew I had things I needed to go explore and that not, not only was I, I tired, but I also just needed to go put my head into some other stuff for a while. And so we, you know, that was one way we talked about it was like, Hey, there's just some stuff I got to go explore. Like just for me, that yeah. was one way that, that I talked about it. And I think that was actually the main way that was the, that was the way yeah. that made the most sense to people. Yeah. No, I mean, it's super courageous. I think that, you know, LinkedIn in Q1 or Q2 of, of 2022 launched a career breaks feature. So you can basically say like, I'm on a career break, which I think has, it sounds kind of stupid, but I think that actually has probably enabled like millions of people to feel more confident sure. around resume breaks. And, you know, I think that going back to that term sabbatical, like it does give folks more permission to say, like, I'm on sabbatical and, you know, mm-hmm. versus telling someone at work, it's very easy to tell someone at work, I think I'm going to grad school, right? That's like a very socially acceptable thing. It's hard sure. to tell someone like I'm going to a competitor, but I think it might be harder to say like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Because it might feel as though you're saying like, listen, I, I will do anything other than what I'm doing right now. <laughs> like all I know, the only thing I'm certain of is this is not what I want to do. Like that's hard to, that's hard to say. <laughs> yeah. That's a tough pill to swallow if, if people take it that way, for sure. Yeah. It was awkward for me because I didn't have the language and the grad school thing was, was not clear yet. That was just a, a thing I was toying with mm-hmm. on this, you know, as a, as a maybe, but I, I really, let's, let's push into this a little bit of like the stuff where people get stuck because I, I sense you know, I've had a lot of people privately message me or talk to me and be like, dude, I, I, I can't even believe what you're doing. I think it's like, I, I think it's so brave or I wish I could do that. Yeah. Like, what are the things, you know, a lot of people want this. So what gets in the way? What stops people? I think about the, the main objections are cost, optics and responsibility. So mm-hmm. obviously it's a privilege to be able to take extended leave from work. The majority of America and folks worldwide, like, can't, you know, don't have six weeks of paycheck in their savings account, you know, mm-hmm. more and more, if, if you, if you have a company sponsor sabbatical policy, if you have a partner that will support you during that time, it becomes, becomes possible. And that's kind of what we're working towards. That's, that's why I started this organization. 
to make it more equitable and you know enable people to to be able to play with that and have that experience optics so what we just talked about you know what will people think of me and then responsibility is like how can i make this work with with a partner with a family different you know parts of your career and and life so those are the i think the main objections people have to get over are, are there any particular things that help people work through those i think that um the most important enabler to take a sabbatical is like exemplars which is a like an academic sounding word for an example of someone you know right so are there people that look like you have the sa- have similar jobs or at similar points in their career that have done this and survived if not thrived and so that that gives people permission so you see folks whose family were academics and they took sabbaticals growing up like then it becomes part of the story of of work right and a life. And I think that's that's the main method of of kind of change that we're aiming for here. It's can we introduce another story about how to live, how to work where it doesn't feel like you're trading out a successful career or having financial security for taking a break every once in a while. You know, it's totally it's totally obvious to people who have done it that the world just kind of keeps on going and no one really cares that you're gone for a few months. Mm-hmm. You know, we have more and more built-in extended leaves in our careers, like parental leave and and stuff where, you know, we plan to leave, you know, you might, you tell someone you quit, you got to hire someone else. Like there are breaks inside of like work. We just don't think about it that way. We think about like, oh my God, transition, like got to get to the next thing immediately. So yeah, I think having an exemplar is one of the best ways. There was a phrase you said in there, I think you said the story of work. And the fact, I yeah. think what's so important about that is like recognizing we are all each carrying around our own story of what is work, what is it for, what is, how does yeah. that relate to who I am as a person? One of the things that most struck me when I first encountered your work was this notion that a sabbatical is really this, I don't remember the language you used, but it's, it's really like a, a playground or a canvas, a space to experiment with identity revision, right? With exploring who am I without, you know, with, with yep. putting that thing that I've been doing aside? Who am I outside that? So I, I really appreciate that because it's, it, I think it's really easy for our sense of who we are to be boxed in by our story of work. Yeah, it's, you know, you kind of talked about, you asked me about my story of, of how I thought about work growing up. One of the things that we found in our research is that just the outsized impact that someone's family, how they work, what they did for a living, what their values were, their mm. peers, you know, in college, you know, what kind of grade, what kind of major you're doing and what what that leads to your early colleagues. Like they have such an influence on on what you think is normal, right? And I think until totally. you can get some space and disconnection from that, it's really hard to hear your own kind of signal through the noise, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's like it's such a noisy world and Unfortunately, getting often noisier with, with social media and technology that it, you know, it's to give even, you know, coming back to the holidays right now to get even a week of, of time to, to think and, and just be able to breathe and have some space for yourself is such a gift to ourselves. So I want to talk really quick about, let's, let's, let's make this concrete for people. Like a lot of people listening to this are going to be like, Hey, this sounds awesome, but I don't, you know, that's not in the cards for me, at least not yet. Maybe it's something Mm -hmm. they want to aspire towards. But let's say they have a week, maybe two weeks right here over the holidays. What do you think people can do to make the most of that time if, you know, if they treat it like a little mini sabbatical? What would you have people do? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would say, and this is, this is not a popular opinion, but almost every person who's taken a sabbatical has taken a two week vacation. And what, what we're saying, what we're hearing, what I've experienced, and maybe what you're experiencing is that those are profoundly different things. There's something yep. about the nature of the duration of time and the, the separation from your, like routine identity that, that does something very different. And so I think, you know, I need to get better at answering this question because obviously everyone asks it, especially in America. It's like, how can I get all the benefits in the least amount of time <laughs> when the right. amount of time is kind of where the, where the juice is, right? And so that being said, and I, this might be kind of cheeky, but I think the best use of time is, is reflecting on how your life has been, how your year has been, reflecting on what you really want to do not in the next year, in the next quarter, but like over the course of your life. Like, what do you want to be known for? Like your eulogy values, right? What do you want? Mm. What stories do you want to tell your grandkids? What do you think is, are you, what do you think you are going to think is important on your deathbed kind of thing? Mm. And like, 
to then try to figure out like, okay, like those are things I value. Those are things I want to do. Do I actually have time in the next year, in the next five years to do that? Is there any way that it's going to fit in to, to life as we know it right now? And the answer is probably no, right? And so how can you create space? When can you create a large amount of space to be able to lean into that stuff? And I think one of the reactions I get is like, oh, well, that's nice that you took a sabbatical. Like I can't take a sabbatical. And you're like, well, almost no one can take a sabbatical right now. <laughs> but what are you doing in January 2027? Like mm-hmm. no one has any idea, right? So like what you're doing in January 2027 yeah. is you're taking a three month sabbatical and that's what's important. And you work towards that. You save 3% of your income every month. You like think about when you're going to transition jobs. You think about aligning your PTO with your partners or like maybe it's over the summer so you can, you know, travel with your kids and you just make a plan. And you, it mm-hmm. might be seven years from now, which is what, you know, a lot of folks who are work at nonprofits or they're, they're teachers. These folks aren't, they're not taking a sabbatical whenever they feel tired. Like they're, they're saving up for it. They're planning and they know that it, it might be one of the most important experiences of their kids' lives. And so they're like, I want to do this when my mm-hmm. kids are a certain age. And that's, that's the way to start thinking about it. So I guess I would say, can you zoom out? Think about what's truly important. Like for you, you know, investing more in, in spirituality and, and meditation and say like, what is the activity that's going to, to really make it feel as though I gave it a real shot, you know? And for yep. me, it was like walking a long pilgrimage and it's like, okay, well, you can't walk a long pilgrimage by definition in a short amount of time. And so <laughs> I want to be able to do this during the course of my life. Like, yeah, you know, I, I walked the last hundred kilometers of the Camino de Santiago in Spain and my buddy and I, who I did it with, had such a small amount of time that we ended mm-hmm. up walking so, so many miles that he like broke, he broke his foot. He like broke a bone oh, in his foot. No. no. <laughs> and you're like, well, that's what happens when you don't make time for something that's important to you. Like you rush it, you cram it in. So anyway, long answer. No, I, I, I really appreciate it. And it's funny what you were, the story you're sharing right at the end there, because one of the things, one of the big things I did this year was I walked El, the, the whole El Camino de Santiago. I spent oh, almost nice. two months hiking across Spain. Awesome. It was like 50, I think it was 52 days all in, something like cool. that. Cool. And it's interesting that the, the, the story you were just saying there about you and your buddy with that last hundred kilometers, because I have, I have very vivid memories of those last hundred kilometers and Trail the, starts I, filling up with posers. Yeah, yeah. Like it starts. It, well, it wasn't so much that, but it was like you could see that they were having a really different experience, right? Because yeah. the people who you know we had walked for so long, just the, the the energy you were at, like where you were at, was so different. They were like this people who were showing up and just starting. They would be this like they'd be super excited, which is awesome because I that's how I was, yeah. you know, like six weeks ago. <laughs> but they would be in just a really different place than, yeah. than where you were if you walked for a whole whole bunch longer time so yeah i really appreciate you sharing that story what what pilgrimage did you do you i think you said you went to japan was that right yeah so i did the i did like the you know last 100k of the camino and my experience i had a very positive experience but i was also like okay i want to do something that's like a little bit more off the beaten path here and i think there's i'd love to go back and do some of the other like caminos right like the Mm -hmm. like a Portugal one and one up north and and that kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, can I do something a little bit off the beaten path? And, you know, interested in was doing a lot of research and and leaning towards kind of Buddhism and and stoicism mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay. And then I wanted to travel to a place I hadn't been before. Nice. So I just like Googled around and, and futzed around and found this one in Japan. So you it's it's based on this this guy, Kobodaishi, who brought kind of Buddhism from China to Japan. He okay. came back and walked around his home island, which is called Shikoku, just kind of like south island south of like where Tokyo and, and everything is and like east of where like Hiroshima is and and visited like 88 temples across the island and kind of like, I don't know, visited them, like gave them the, the good word, kind of converted them from like Shintoism to Buddhism. Okay. And so, yeah, that's about all that I knew when I flew to Japan with like a backpack and <laughs> and and just landed there and so it's like a it was very different ex- <laughs> yeah very different experience than the camino in the sense that like they kind of have little signs to tell you to walk but you're like you're visiting these little things you're kind of using this map book as 
as a like a treasure map of where to stay and where to go and it's not not very not a very good or easy to follow map and you're like you know they have these little huts on the side of the road that you sleep in for free and so it's it's like probably what the camino felt like you know a while ago and there's yeah, sure. a lot of cool things about that and a ton of very difficult things about that <laughs> i can't, yeah what's like what what's one like what's the first one that comes to mind where you're like you love you hated it at the time but you're you know you maybe you love it looking back on it i just think I don't know if you had this experience. Did, did it rain a lot when you were walking? No, not much this time. Shit. Yeah. Like, have you ever been so wet that you just feel like you are like an amphibian or like under the water? <laughs> yes. I, I remember going camping. We, we lived all over the place as a kid. You know, you were talking about the, the Jesuit school being kind of the, the roots mm-hmm. of, of the service inclination for you. For me, it comes from being raised in a military and government family. And so oh, yeah. at one point we were living in Indonesia and my brother and I were in Boy cool. Scouts. And I remember we went on this camping trip for the weekend when a typhoon hit and it rained like torrential downpour for f- like four days straight. I've never seen yeah. so much water, not in a body of water in yeah. my life. So yes, I, <laughs> I do have a sense for what you're talking about. Yeah. It was so like, and, and the thing about that, and I, I lived in Indonesia for a bit too, and, and it's, those kinds of places, India, Indonesia, Philippines, like when it rains, it's like someone just standing over you with a bucket. It has no, like no mm-hmm. similarity to rain that I've experienced in the States. And so, yeah. but you like, you know, I wouldn't, I was sleeping outside and like, I didn't have a dryer and you're just walking every day for 10 hours. And so you're just walking and it's raining and you're like, well, I don't have any play. Like I'm not going to stand somewhere because I have to move. And so you just walk in the rain for 10 hours and it is, <laughs> it is an experience. Like there's no, no raincoat you can have that will work yeah. for that amount of time. And so that was horrible. Like it was horrible. And you're wearing this, this kind of cone hat. That's really great. Cause it's kind of like a little umbrella and like a sunshade. Like I never put on sunscreen for six weeks. And so you're kind of like your head's kind of dry, but it's like drumming on your head. It just feels like you're like a tin roof and then cars are driving by and like cars in the rain, like the sound of tires on, on the road in the rain is like really loud actually. So yeah, I just, I remember being wet. I've kind of, I had, you know, I was a big outdoors guy and still, but my desire to really rough it camping anymore, like I checked the box. I'm a, I'm a total <laughs> like, like I'm van life van life guy now <laughs> yeah 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 that's awesome <laughs> you're like no i've done that i i'm i'm good i've i've you know i've proven to myself that i can handle that uh, yeah awesome. how about on the camino let's see so this year there there was a couple really bad heat waves i remember mm-hmm. it being <laughs> so hot like first of all i i had two of these the first one was so bad it set fire to a big chunk of northeast spain and they yeah. had to actually like bus people around the fire on the camino there was a bunch of people who missed the first i don't know like 100 kilometers or something because they had to take them around that there was that one and then there was another one later and i you know for people who haven't spent time in spain in the summer first of all it you know it's super hot. Spain is brutal mm-hmm. in the summer. In Fahrenheit, I mean, it'll get to like 110. Yeah. And they don't really use AC there. That's not yeah. so much of a thing. <laughs> and so I just remember there was like some stretches of time where it was so hot, it was almost impossible to sleep. I mean, I was basically like an insomniac for a week. And oh that's God. terrible if you're in good conditions, but it was super hot yeah. too. And so I remember, I remember some pretty rough days where I was just full on grumpy cat. I mean, I was just like, I am so ornery right now. I, I'll tell you one story. I remember it was in the second one of these and, and I, I had been staying in this little, they called them albergues. It's like a little like pilgrim yep. hostel thing. And this one was in the middle of nowhere, but it was so nice. It was so bizarre. Like it was incredibly mm-hmm. nice. By far the nicest I stayed in. It was nicer than some hotels I've stayed in. Middle of nowhere, but it was they didn't have AC and it was so hot, like it didn't matter. You could not sleep. And so I remember waking up at like two in the morning after having gone to sleep, you know, just a few hours before and can't get back to sleep. And then I make the awful mistake of checking the news on my phone. And mm-hmm. there's some terrible frontline story about I don't even remember what it was, you know. Anyways, this just sends my mind into like a tailspin. And so by, you know, at 7 a.m. I'm walking and at some point I'm just Again, I'm ornery. I'm grumpy cat. And at some point I'm walking along alone and I just want to be left alone. You know, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anybody. And I see, I'm like going around this bend in this little village and I see this guy 
off in to the right, I see there's like kind of a little circle of tables. And I see a few pilgrims there having, you know, eating and having a snack or something. And I see mm-hmm. this guy get up and start like walking on a, on an intercept path with me. And I'm like, ah, damn it. Like I can't avoid this guy. There's no, there's just me and him. There's nowhere to go. I can't not yeah. run into this guy. And I'm just like, shit. And I'm, I'm like, oh man, this guy, you know, I'm thinking all these like really uncharitable things. I'm like, oh, this guy's going to try and sell me a bunch of crap that I don't want or whatever. Yeah. And I'll, you know, so not, not good. Not my normal state of mind. Didn't feel good about it. Didn't feel proud about the way I was thinking at that time. And he comes over and I'm trying to ignore him and he will not take this for an answer. And he like finds a way to kind of like, nope, I'm cutting you off. And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, no, I'm good. And he's like, no, no, here, here, here. All this guy wanted to do was give me the most amazing piece of watermelon I've had in my entire life. Because <laughs> it was like 8 a.m. and it was like 98 degrees. And he had done the Camino like 10 awesome. times. And so he would go out there and he loved just meeting people on the Camino. And so he was one of my, he was my little, we would call him Camino angels. Like he was my watermelon yeah. angel. And it was just this moment where I remember feeling like it's been such a crap day. And this one little act of kindness really just reminded me that like, oh, there's good in the world. People are good. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah. We had a, the, in, on the pilgrimage in Japan, it was like that. I think I kept track in my, in my notebook. It was on average about two times a day where a random stranger would just come to you and give you a present. So it was either mm. someone else who was walking as a pilgrim or just mostly people that lived in the area, right? And like when you've done something like the Camino, you see that there's just humans that you walk through a bunch of villages and their whole life, they're just seeing pilgrims walk by. Yep. And it was a pretty special thing to see. And yeah, you would just be having a, a horrible day and someone would come and like buy you a, a coffee out of the vending machine or something. And being mm-hmm. in Japan... Like, I don't speak Japanese and I tried to learn, but it's just, you feel like a baby. Like, you just, you just don't know anything. You can't read, you know, there's three alphabets mm-hmm. for God's sake and like, you can't communicate. And so just, <laughs> just having a person give you something that you weren't expecting would just absolutely melt your heart. Um, in a way that was, that was quite cool. Like in, in Japan, you wear this kind of like white shirt vestment thing with like a like a sash and you carry a stick with a bell on it and you everyone's wearing these hats and so you can you can see visibly who's going through a tough thing and who's doing Uh, something hard which i wish we could see in normal life right like if you knew that someone who was driving like an asshole was like having a tough day as opposed mm -hmm. to just you know feeling that person's a jerk or someone's walking down the sidewalk and they were they were sad and you could give them like an orange or something it would be, mm-hmm. it would be great. So I, I really, I really miss that. And, and those little pieces of gratitude during your day, I think make, makes you a better person. Yeah. No, that's, that's one of the things that people, I think whenever you go through an experience like this, and I don't think you need to get to further listener, I don't think you need to go on some, you know, giant pilgrimage to have a meaningful sabbatical or, or anything like this by, by any stretch of the imagination. This is one of the things that for me, the space and the time of sabbatical opens up is you, you suddenly slow down enough to actually notice all the lovely, wonderful things that are already there in daily life. Yeah. Like those little acts of kindness that normally I'm running around too busy to really notice. But, you know, this and, and this watermelon guy was not the only example of this. There was other ones where just little things just made all the difference in the world. What was what do you think changed the most from when you started to when you finished your pilgrimage? Hmm it's really hard to answer that question concisely or even yeah. directly, but I appreciate that. I do appreciate it. And I'm going to, I'll try, I will try to answer it. But th- th- just for people who haven't had an experience like this, what's so strange is time takes time. There's like a whole time distortion effect. Like mm-hmm. a month on an experience like this is not a month in normal life. You, you basically are step off. It's like, like the parallel timeline thing. You step off this timeline into a whole other one, have this, almost an entire set of life experiences that are so meaningful and rich and intense. And then you come back and the world's basically the same. Um, <laughs> and you're like, but I'm so different. And everybody else is like, what are you talking about? Everything's the same. And you can't, you can't talk yeah, to anyone about your experience because no one gets it. It's yeah. so hard. Exactly. Yeah. It's so hard to explain, which is why if you ever, which is why when people have done any sort of pilgrimage like this, they geek out like we are right now. <laughs> but what changed the most? It's really hard to say specifically. I think one way I could put it 
because I was in a really deep, I, I was just, just getting into the depths of, of my kind of inner explorations at this point on, on the sabbatical. And I would say one thing that was different for me to put it in psychology terms was th- a sense of coherence. One of the things I was reading a lot about on the sabbatical or sorry, during the middle of the Camino, which actually I was reading about it the night I was of that horrible heat wave that I was just talking about. I was thinking about the question of like, well, what is it? what does it mean for something to mean something? Like what makes things meaningful, right? Like make things that matter. Well, what makes something matter? And I was reading a bunch of philosophy. And one of the things that they talked about was a sense of meaning in life. And one of the big factors that drives meaning in life, according to the body research I was checking out, is a sense of Mm -hmm. coherence. Like the sense that my life makes sense. I understand myself and where I am in my life and where it's going and so forth. And One of the things that I think really shifted was, as you probably, I'm curious if you had a similar experience, but when you have that much time walking, which is kind of a reflective activity on its own, Mm -hmm. you you go through a lot. (laughs) Like you, you kind of work your way through, at least in my case, I felt like I reviewed my entire life. And at the end, I was just like, oh, I, I feel like I make sense to me now in in a way I didn't before. Do you remember particular examples of, of that coherence? Because I, this is one of the things that, that I looked at, right? This, this sense of identity formation and how we form identity over time. And, and like, if you have, if you feel like your identity is more to who you are, right? Your work identity is more like true to who you are, then you're, you're more likely to be successful, be satisfied, things like that, right? So taking that that measure of stock of like, okay, I put on this hat to be a banker and then, but I can like take that hat off. And what am I when I take the hat off? Do you remember, did it change what you wanted to do for work? Did it change how you wanted to engage with friends or family? What was the impact? Hmm. It's hard to answer concisely again, because I think it had, it probably has much wider ranging impacts that I've quite seen yet. I'm going to zoom out a level because I I don't have a specific answer to your question, but I think I can say about this whole phase of the sabbatical, which turned out to be most of it, frankly, which was not not expected. Like I, I again, I went into this with like no plan. I'm sure I could have done it better, or whatever. But mm-hmm. it was sort of an unstructured thing that it was evolving as it went. Like I did not plan to spend six months this focused on spiritual exploration. It just took it had a life yeah. of its own. But I think the thing that really I'm taking away from those six months is a very experiential answer to the question of who am I outside work? Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I know now experientially and directly who, who I am at some of the deepest levels and places that I've, I've been able to explore independent of everything I do in a, any kind of mundane, secular worldly sense, which is nothing wrong with any of that. But like, so I think what's, what that does is now that I'm, here's the way I said it to a friend recently. I was like, you know, I'm coming back to a lot of the same questions in in the world, mm. in my life, about my career and all that. Sort of the same questions, but I'm different now. And I'm not I'm not seeking to get the same emotional rewards from work that I was before. And so I feel like I can show up better and be of more service in my work. So I don't actually know how it's going to play out in my work yet, like what changes yeah. I'll make and all that. But I what I can say is that looking at my own history, I'll just speak for myself here. I'm someone who historically has way over identified with my work as a source of my sense of worth, my sense of value as a person, et cetera. You're the only person in the world that that does that. I'm absolutely, yeah, only one for sure. (laughs) Um, And and what I think this was such a gift from this was like, I, I now know who I am on the other side of that. Like I put it all down. And I had no answer to like, what do you do for work? Whatever. I literally was nothing. I didn't know. And, yeah. but now I know who I am without that. And that's very freeing because I don't need work to give me that anymore. Now it's like an expression and an add on as opposed to like a substitute. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Totally. No, I love it. I guess one of the other questions I have is first of all, I want to, I want to try to be helpful. I mean, you can cut this from the podcast if you want, but I'd love to, to be, a person that you can bounce ideas off of as you're entering this next phase. Would you like to talk Thank about you. that? Yeah, sure. What's like, what are some of the questions that you have going into this, this next phase? Like, what are you wrestling with? I would say 
I'm in a phase right now where I I feel like I got farther along in my in my the time I had like basically I had been saving up money for a couple of years and then I had kind of planned on having 12 to 18 months of time and I spent more of it than I planned to so I'm, I'm feeling some financial constraints and pressure where I'm like oh wow I thought I had until like September and maybe it's like April or May so I'm feeling a pressure to start generating income again and mm-hmm. I feel like man did I get my money my money's worth on the spiritual side but I don't yeah. feel like I explored that widely in a professional sense and. I also feel a pressure to pursue another dream, which was to start an independent business. And I'm like, okay, wow, I don't have a lot of runway to do that, which is you know, challenging. So that's yeah. what I'm facing right now. So this isn't, I'm not giving you advice and this could be helpful for, for other folks listening, but I think those two, the two things you said are actually very common and can be solved doing, by doing one thing, <laughs> Okay, which is You'd, you'd mentioned earlier that you have trouble not having your work be kind of like super meaningful and tied to your identity, right? And you, you said that you didn't really do a lot of experimentation about what work you would want to do. You spent more time on the spiritual side. Like this can be an opportunity for you and people like you, including my fiance, who's in like the same exact position. Of course, okay. my fiance being on sabbatical is on brand, which is. <laughs> Like try to experiment with doing a job that isn't super meaningful where you can learn, like you might be curious about it and you can learn something, learn a skill, but it will have the impact of experimenting with not investing your identity and your job too much, thinking about work as something wholly different from your interests and passions. And so you can be more utilitarian about it. Like I am saving up money so that I can do the next thing, which is run my own business. Right. So you kind of like, you get two birds with one stone and, you know, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about this pressure of I've been on sabbatical. The longer I've been on, the more pressure I have to like come out like a phoenix and having figured everything out and be amazing 100%. versus saying like, just take the, take the stress and importance out of it, which is easier said than done. And like, yep, nope. I took time off, did like learn some stuff, did some spiritual personal growth. And like, now I'm just kind of continuing on versus I spent my time off like jumping on trampolines to get to this high level that <laughs> I needed to take off in order to get to. So I think that that's the opportunity for you is, is to say like, I, maybe you've opened up some doors inside of your heart or your mind that will inform what the, what the business should be if you don't already know. And that will kind of come to the surface later. And, or maybe you'll just accumulate the money that will give you the financial flexibility to, to take a big swing at it. But. Like that's the key to happiness, I think, is having low expectations at the end of the sabbatical, which is very tough because you're going to have to tell everyone what you've been doing. You're going to have to yada, yada, yada. So I hope that I hope that that can be helpful for you, at least to have that story in your in your head. You know, I appreciate that. Like what would the could you give me an example of like what that would look like? Because I'll tell you what is in front of me right now. And maybe this is I can't tell if this is aligned with what you were just saying or if it's if it's not. So the thing that I. I kind of resisted doing for a long time, and I've done it a little bit on the side, was product coaching and consulting. So I've been a product lead, a product manager, and leader for years now. And I'd done a little bit of coaching and consulting on the side where I would help other product leaders and teams. But I always resisted like doing that as a coach because I was still so mm-hmm. tied to like, no, I'm the one who was in the arena and did the thing and, and whatever. But I was like, what if I just tried that? Like, what if I just actually did yeah. that and built a services business rather than trying to build some big scalable product company. And so that's mm-hmm. something I'm exploring right now. And and I'm, I'm seeing that could be really interesting and also allow me to explore writing more and podcasting more and the domain of thought leadership more, which is something I've always been curious about. Is, is this aligned with what you're pointing at or is this a little too close to what I was doing before? No, nope, 100%. Like that's, you're taking, this isn't the best term, but you're taking like a mercenary outlook on like, I have accumulated these learnings and I'm going to like, I'm going to like try to monetize them in a way that will free me up to do the thing I ultimately want to do. Or am I misunderstanding that like that might actually be like a thing that you'd want to do in the future? No, no, I think it might be. I've enjoyed it when I've done it in the past, but I've never explored it doing it in a full-time capacity. So what, what would be holding you back? Is it just like the uncertainty around how much money you'll make or like, you know, a lot of things to do, set up the business, like, you know, pitch yourself to people. Like what's the, What's the, well, I'm, I'm kind of already, I started really leaning into this over the last couple of weeks and it's going okay. I, I was coaching somebody actually earlier today and, and really enjoyed it. I think the parts of it that I'm 
what are my big uncertainties? Practically speaking, uncertain if I can actually make a, a business work. Like I know there's demand for this categorically, but I don't know mm-hmm. if I'll be able to actually generate enough clients and so forth myself. That's one. Number two is, will I enjoy the work? Like I think I'll enjoy the work you know, on, a, on like a full-time basis. Cause I, I know I enjoyed it as a side thing. Yeah. Listen, I feel like you have your answer, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if, if, yeah, it's again, can you think of it as the last part of your sabbatical where you're experimenting and run some experiments and say like, can I get, can I get the answer of this? Can I do like a minimum viable product of my idea for the next phase of my career before putting a bunch of pressure on it to say like, okay, like sabbatical's over, like this is now work. Like, can you, can you play with it and enjoy it and experiment with it and then use that answer to say, okay, like I, I will do that. Or you know what? Like, not into it right now. I'm going to do something else for a while and maybe circle back to it. Like, I think that's the, that's the freedom opportunity for yourself to, to be more like light and not, not graspy about this thing and instead try it and consider it as a hypothesis and don't fall in love with it. Right. It sounds like DJ, your, your suggestion is in this final phase, if one is not feeling like I solved all the things, I found all the answers, hooray, you know, to, to keep treating it experimentally as best you can. But I'm curious from what you've seen with people, is this different at all if they're taking their sabbatical and then like returning to their old work? I think that in some senses, someone who is returning to their job has the least amount of pressure and they might feel constrained because like, oh, I'm going back to my job or I feel this like requirement to pay back my employer who gave me this opportunity. But again, like thinking at, thinking about it as a seed that you plant versus mm. like a destination you arrive at, I think is the right mm. mindset. And, you know, s- secondarily, thinking it as like as something that's playful and experimentation versus like an accomplishment or a an assignment. So, I mean, you talk about kind of like Buddhism and, and mindfulness and meditation, like the concept of grasping, right? Like, like a lot of pain and suffering is from grasping onto one sort of mm-hmm. outcome. And mm-hmm. if you're like, I need to accomplish this thing. I need to be this thing. I need to start this thing now at this point in my life. Like you're just creating more kind of pain and suffering for yourself. So again, like that in the three kind of phases of the sabbatical, it's like this recover, explore and, and what like uh, Kira Shabram, who's our, our like academic co-writer says is practice, like actually run an experiment, treat it like an internship, you know, do like Warren Buffett does and don't be kind of dispassionate towards that investment of your time and take the pressure off of it. Like, I just, I think it's, it's, it is the exception, not the rule that you would go into a sabbatical, know what you want to do, come out with like a ton of energy and like a fair amount down the runway of, of that next thing. I think that is so helpful to hear. Thank you for saying that because I've never heard anybody say that. And you're, you're, you know, you're the guy. So you're the one who's done the <laughs> research. So I really, appreciate you saying that because I I didn't quite realize I had been holding that expectation until this conversation. But I can see just looking back really quick that I absolutely have approached this whole thing like, all right, I'm going to go do this thing and I'm going to come back with like the answer. And it's going to be awesome, by the way. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, the whole Phoenix thing. So I, I, I can see that was probably not the most skillful of attitudes. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks. I feel like I've this has been an enlightening conversation for me because I've You've drawn a few things out of me. You've you've created some new analogies and metaphors, which have been really helpful. So this is why I love I love talking about this stuff because I feel like there's there's still kind of lessons bubbling up, and and I I learn a lot from every person who takes a sabbatical because they're all so different. Yeah, no, I I so appreciate it. So I want to start to wrap up here. I want to ask you a couple last questions, just from the company perspective. If you're <laughs> a company leader or a, a company owner or whatever, what it seems like. There's, they probably have a different set of concerns, right? Maybe these people are going to leave and never come back. Is this really the right thing? Is this the company's job to support this? Really? How is this actually good for the company? Et cetera, et cetera. I, what would you say to those people? What do you think they should be thinking about? The first thing I would say is that I think we have this unhealthy, unhealthy addiction to the concept that leaving a, a job is bad and that, you know, every, everyone's averse to, to change, right? And so mm. I think this is a, it's like a change in the context of your work life. And there's a lot of uncertainty around, you know, in the short term that if someone leaves, you might have more work to do and you don't know who that, 
who the next person is to to come in and and that, that's it's scary right but the reality of the situation is that everyone leaves every company at some mm. point right like <laughs> you either leave in a in a coffin or you leave like you know like because you are on mar- ma- like parental leave or you leave because you found another job and so like by definition no one's staying at, at a job forever and knowing that those transitions happen more and more like it's a skill for a business to get good at transitioning employees to transition like jobs and tasks to other people in the organization to see Mm. how the organization works when someone especially a leader leaves for extended amount of time so i kind of view it as a a superpower to get good at that versus a thing to to be afraid of and it's Mm. it's a reality anyway so you can't kind of you have no choice over that you just have to accept it (laughs) but i think the, the positive sides you know again it's like giving junior employees a chance to step up and take over responsibilities they wouldn't have otherwise. It's, you know, allowing people to kind of refresh and come back more creative and engaged. It's, you know, for a lot of companies, I've been thinking about this recently. I just don't buy this thing that every job can be super meaningful and and like every company can, can give someone a really exciting thing to work towards. Like some jobs just are jobs. Most jobs are jobs. And I think the best thing you can do as a company in that world is give people the time and space to do the things that are important to them and meaningful for them outside of work, right? And then the the person comes back and says like, oh, okay, like I don't get to fulfill my spiritual fantasies about making a difference in the world by working at the post-it note factory. But the post-it note factory does allow me to be with my family for extended periods of time, you know, on a regular basis. And that's meaningful to me. And so thank you. I will stay at the post-it note factory. Sorry, mm. post-it notes. The 3M's doing fine. Don't worry about it. Right? No, I, I really appreciate that because I think it's on the individual side, you could see the the privilege critique being a disabler of like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's a just a, a privileged example. Like, yes, there is some privilege there for sure. But I can mm-hmm. imagine on the company side, they probably immediately see the cost. They don't necessarily see the upside. But are, are there examples of where enabling sabbaticals is actually a huge win for the company beyond what you've just described? Yeah, I think recruitment retention, especially as having sabbatical policies is still the minority versus like the majority kind of type of benefit. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a cool TED talk by Stefan Sagmeister that talks about him shutting down his creative agency to, to come back with more creativity. I just, I've heard so many stories about folks that you know, either employees who say that it gave them the opportunity to reflect on what tasks they were doing and, and step up and ask to change for employers realizing that someone had taken on way more responsibilities than they've been getting paid for and like wanting to reward that to prevent them from leaving. Like, you know, just again, back to that end of the year metaphor provides this inflection point to say like, oh, okay, what's going on? How should it change? Uh, let's do that. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Humans need that. They need to be pulled out of the the here and now. Yeah, we got to get up out of the fray once in a while. Well, okay, I want to go ahead and start to wrap up here, DJ. I really, first of all, so, so, so grateful for having some time together today. I really appreciate you. One thing I just wanted to ask really quick on that end of year thing, is there any particular ritual that you have that you you think would benefit people to try on if they don't, you know, if somebody doesn't have a, a go-to way to approach this time of year? Is there anything you'd recommend for them or, or something you do yourself? I wish I had a better answer for this. I, I try to spend New Year's like out in nature, usually climbing a mountain. I feel like there's mm. kind of some like metaphorical thing there, but maybe I just am like a Scrooge around like New Year's bars or restaurants and, and events. You know, my friend Lauren Bale has like an end of year reflection guided kind of reflection journaling exercise that, that mm. uh, I'll be posting on my LinkedIn. I think that's pretty like, you know, have some like I like just taking account of what happened over the last year just so you have it in writing so you can go back to it. It's like it's so hard to to take stock unless you take a break. So at the very least, I guess journal, spend time in nature if you can. But I also try to just read a bunch of fiction and try to like unplug. I, I, I think this week between Christmas and New Year's has kind of become like a holiday for, for a lot of American companies, which is awesome. So mm, like yeah. do some stuff that feels productive, but also like don't study neuroscience and like try to cram it in for a week. Like let yourself read some fiction or something. 
Thank you. I will. I, I will have you know, I am now on bu- book two of the Gentleman Bastard series. It starts with The Lies of Locke Lamora, which is awesome. If anyone needs a novel recommendation, <laughs> highly recommend it. It's pretty great. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, just in closing out, what would you like to leave the listener with? So I think that luckily for me, this idea is powerful enough that if you listen to this, and even if you're kind of like, bah humbug, I could never do this. I think like a seed has been planted inside of you and will grow. And so allow yourself to just imagine what you would do, even if the idea of doing it now logistically is not possible. And I think I think you're going to have that idea grow inside of you where you're going to see how your life kind of unfolds and realize that you can't get those, those things done that you want to do. So I think you don't have to do anything. Check out the sabbaticalproject.org. Follow me on LinkedIn, kind of sharing more stories like this and you know, be that example for other people in your life to to take a sabbatical. Awesome. Plant those seeds, people. You heard it here first. All right. Well, DJ, thanks again so much and really a pleasure to have you here. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, I'd be so grateful if you could do me a favor and take about 25 seconds to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps me reach way more listeners, and it also helps me bring you more great guests. As always, please feel free to reach out to me anytime at connect at makethingsthatmatter.com. And until next time, my friends, leave them better than you found them. See you out there.